morning. Today's scripture reading comes from the first chapter of Genesis, all of Genesis 1 and uh, first three chap- uh, verses of chapter 2. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was formless and empty, darkness was over the surface of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. And God said, let there be light, and there was light. God saw, the light that w- saw that the light was good, and he separated the light from the darkness. God called the light day, and the darkness he called night. And there was evening, and there was morning the first day. And God said, let there be a vault between the waters to separate water from water. So God made the vault and separated the water under the vault from the water above it. And it was so. God called the vault sky, and there was evening and there was morning the second day. And God said, let the water under the sky be gathered into one place and let dry ground appear. And it was so. God called the dry ground land and 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 the gathered waters he called seas. And God saw that it was good. Then God said, let the land produce vegetation, seed-bearing plants, and trees on the land that bear fruit with seed in it, according to their various kinds. And it was so. The land produced vegetation, plants bearing seed according to their kinds, and trees bearing fruit with seed in it according to their kinds. And God saw that it was good. And there was evening, and there was morning the third day. And God said, let there be lights in the vault of the sky to separate the day from the night, and let them serve as signs to mark sacred times and days and years. And let them, let them be lights in the vault of the sky to give light onto, onto the earth. And it was so. God made two great lights, the great light to govern the day and the lesser night light to govern the night. He also made the stars. God set them in the vault of the sky to give light to the earth, to govern the day and the night, and to separate light from darkness. And God saw that it was good, and there was evening and there was morning the fourth day. And God said, let the water teem with living creatures, and let, water, and let birds fly above the earth across the vault of the sky. So God created the great creatures of the sea and every living thing with which the water teems that moves about in it, according to their kinds, and every winged bird according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. God blessed them and said, be fruitful and increase in number, and fill the, wa- fill the water and the seas, and let the birds increase on the earth. And there was evening, and there was morning, the fifth day. And God said, let, let, let the land produce living creatures according to their kinds, the livestock, the creatures that move along the ground, and the wild animals, each according to its kind. And it was so. God made the wild animals according to their kinds, the livestock according to their kinds, and all the creatures that move along the ground according to their kinds. And God saw that it was good. Then God said, let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky, over the live... I'm okay. Yeah. Oh my goodness. <laughs> that came out of nowhere, yeah. Is this on? <laughs> no, I can hold it. It's actually easier oh, yeah, if I hold it. Okay. <laughs> Where was I? I think I was on verse 26. Okay. Uh, 
Let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals, and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky and over every living creature that moves on the ground. Then God said, I give you every seed-bearing plant on the face of the whole earth and every tree that has fruit with seed in it. They will be yours for food. And to all the beasts of the earth and all the birds in the sky and all the creatures that move along the ground, everything that has breath of life in it, I give every green plant for food. And it was so. God saw all that he had made, and it was very good. And there was evening, and there was morning, the sixth day. Thus the heavens and the earth were completed in all their vast array. By the seventh day, God had finished the work he had been doing, so on the seventh day he rested from all his work. Then God blessed the seventh day and made it holy, because on it he rested from all the work of creating that he had done. This is the word of the Lord. My goodness. See what happens when you read the Word of God with power. Things start to shake. Well, we're overjoyed today to have a guest speaker, and I'm glad to be able to introduce him to you. It is Pastor Andrew Russell, who is one of the pastors. Uh, at our uh, sibling congregation in the Grace DC Network, Grace Downtown, and he is here uh, together with his wife Stephanie and his, his whole crew, his whole team here, and we're grateful that you all are here. It's a blessing to be able to share this time with you, and um, just a joy to have Pastor Andrew here bring God's Word to us, and some of you may know him uh, just from his ministry downtown and as we've done things together as a network um, but we're so grateful uh, that you would come and preach, especially on this Labor Day weekend, on the topic of work, and we're grateful. For, so let's all put our hands together and welcome our brother together. All right. Good morning. Good morning. Uh, I, I, let me say a quick word of prayer for our sister Jen. Dear Heavenly Father, we just uh, lift our sister up to you. Thank you for protecting her. Uh, we ask that you would speak to the hearts of your people uh, this morning. I pray, Lord, if there is one today who doesn't know you, that they would come to know you. Um, Lord, I pray that I would uh, decrease and that you would increase in this place. Lord, I hide myself behind the cross of Jesus Christ, and I ask that you would send your Holy Spirit uh, Convict, comfort, encourage, uh, do what only you can do, Lord. We are, we're depending upon you. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Uh, so this morning I have the privilege to talk about the, the subject of work. And you know, when uh, Pastor Duke asked me to preach this morning, you know, he was like, you can preach something that you've done before or you can do something new, uh, particularly on this subject of work. And so, you know, I, I asked my wife, what should I do? And my wife said, give him a fresh word, amen. 
So turn to your neighbor and say, fresh word. Uh, this, this topic of work, I've never preached on before, and so it was a joy really to dig into this uh, subject. How do we view work? And I know we, we read uh, almost, it, it felt like three chapters of Genesis, um, but one of the reasons that I, I chose the, the passage of Genesis is to show you the beginning of how God created and how God's work should influence the way we work. So has anybody in this room uh, heard of or watched the TV show on Apple TV, Severance? Severance, anybody? Okay. Um, so if you have not watched it, basically, it's the, the plot is that this technology company called Lumen Industries, they, they use this medical procedure where they separate your non-work memories from your work memories in order to achieve this uh, proper work-life balance. So basically, you, if, you have, if you sign up to be, uh, to be severed, you go to work, and as soon as you come in the elevator, your, 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 the, whatever chip they place in your brain switches on, and then you are fully devoted to work. You don't even remember that you have a family. You don't remember anything. You just, you're just fully devoted to work. And then when you leave Lumen Industries, the, the chip clicks, and then you forget everything about what you did, and then you can uh, fully engage in your life. And so, uh, they, 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 the, through this uh, particular show, um, eventually some of the employees, they, they discovered this twisted conspiracy behind the severance. And they try to figure out, uh, the, 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 bridge the divide between their work self, which they call innies, and their non-work self, which is called outies. And this is, I believe, how our culture views work, right? Um, you, you know, it's a place where you sever yourself from your personal and private life so that you can devote yourself fully to the task at hand. To be a truly productive worker, you have to leave your private and personal stuff at the door so that you can be fully invested. But you know, the, pan the, the pandemic has changed that, right? Uh, the pandemic has, 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 has showed us now that we can work remotely from home. You don't have to show up into the office. And yes, it gives us more flexibility and options, and you can move around, you know, you can live anywhere really in the world and still work online. However, there are unintended consequences in this new pandemic world. This uh, BBC article entitled, entitled, How Our Views on Work Has Changed Forever, this is what the author writes. Many have found themselves face to face with questions they didn't even know they had to ask. And these are the following questions. How will they bond with colleagues, especially young workers looking to network and build a solid foundation for a career? How will remote work deepen existing inequalities, especially for workers who can't work from home? And what is the, the effect on our mental health? and the people who might not even thrive in remote settings as much as others. In the new work world, how do you achieve this work-life balance, especially if you're, if you're working parents with young children? So this morning, I, I wanna give you some hope in this new work world. 
but also I want to uh, uh, challenge our biblical view of work, our, 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 our view of work from a biblical lens. So here's my thesis. It's a, it's a one-point sermon with about 50 different observations, amen? But it's one point. This is my thesis statement. We find dignity, purpose, and fulfillment in our work when God is most glorified. And when God is most glorified, he liberates us from a scarcity mindset and invites us to live in his abundance. I'll say that again. We find dignity, purpose, and fulfillment in our work when God is most glorified. And when God is most glorified, he liberates us from a scarcity mindset and invites us to live and work in his abundance. And so we find this theology of work in Genesis chapter 1. Now Genesis uh, was written by Moses to encourage the people of God who had been in slavery underneath Egyptian oppression. Uh, Moses wrote the Pentateuch while leading Israel in the wilderness. Mo Numbers 33, 1 through 2 says, when they went out of the land of Egypt by their companies under the leadership of Moses and Aaron, Moses wrote down their starting places stage by stage by the command of the Lord. And so Moses presents this story of creation to the children of Israel who had just been released from slavery. And you would think, why in the world? Okay, so the, the, if I'm an if I'm a Israelite, my view of work is it's it's oppressive, it's cruel, it's overwhelming, it's exhaustive. And then, and then God comes and liberates them from this oppression and, 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 and puts them in the wilderness where they can't really work, where it's hot, where it's dry. And so they're, they're miserable. And, and Moses says, let me, let, me, uh, let me tell you, God, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And they're like, hold up, man, Moses, I'm hungry. Hold up, man, Moses, I got I to gotta pay the bills. Hold up, Moses, my, my, my kids need to eat. So why are you telling me this origin story? And I believe that, that, that Moses, uh, uh, God inspired Moses to write the book of Genesis to show the people of Israel that I want to change your story. I want to I change your story. I want to I, I change your story from slavery and defeat to freedom and victory. So here's the question. Why would Moses recount the creation story of a people coming out of slavery in the wilderness. They, they, they're not working anymore. Uh, like I said, I believe that Moses is trying to teach the, the people of Israel that God created work to liberate his people from scarcity and oppression into abundance and freedom in the context of his love. You know, God loves to create. Uh, God loves to work. Work uh, before the fall, before man fell into sin, before human beings disobeyed God and, and made work what it is today, right? It's hard, it's, it's, it's drudgery, there's thorns and thistles and weeds everywhere you look. <clears throat> before that, God created work, before that, the, the fall of mankind, in a perfect environment. Work was meant to uh, uh, show the beauty of who God is. With God work, and here's the thing, if God didn't work, we wouldn't even know who God is. 
God's work is, 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 is general revelation. Psalm 19 says, the heavens declare the glory of God and the sky above proclaims his handiwork. So work is not a result of evil forces trying to oppress us and rob us of our dignity and purpose. Because that's what the Israelites would say. They would say, well, work is oppressive. Works robs you of dignity. Works ma uh, makes you a slave. And, 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 and Moses is, and God is trying to teach the people of Israel that work is actually about uh, 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 increasing your dignity. Work is about showing the glory of God and inviting you to co-create with God. Work reveals the person of God. He's trying to change their story. Work reveals the, the abundance of God because we have nothing to offer God. We are dependent on his work. If God didn't work, we, we couldn't eat. If God didn't work, we couldn't have, you know, uh, the uh, hamburgers. If God didn't work, we couldn't have, you know, uh, Korean barbecue. Can I get a witness? If God didn't work, uh, we couldn't have mambo sauce. Come on now. So God's work provides food for his people. Isaiah 55, 1 through 2 says, Come everyone who thirsts, come to the waters. And he who has, he or she who has no money, come, buy and eat. Come and buy wine and milk without price. Why do you spend your money for that which is not bread and your labor for that which does not satisfy? My brothers and sisters, God is the God of abundance. We we, we read it, right, in the uh, assurance of pardon, that he lavishes grace, his, the riches of God's grace he lavishes upon you. Psalm 106 says he's abundant in steadfast love, that he's abundant in grace, Romans 5, 17, and he offers abundant life, John 10 and 10. God did not create the heavens and the earth because there was a lack of companionship or, uh, you know, he was trying to fill some hole in his heart, like he felt lonely and so he created, you know, uh, the fishes and the animals and human beings. No, God created out of the limitless, infinite, abundant, just love that he loves to create. God loves to display his power and his glory. And everything that God does is from abundance. He always gives you more than what you need, more than you could ever ask or imagine, as Paul says in Ephesians. Uh, you know that song, I don't know if you know this gospel song, it's by Gary Oliver. It says, my God is more than enough. He can supply all my needs. He is my El Shaddai. He always works out for me. Jehovah Jireh, he is my God. Psalm 24, 1 says that the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, the world and everything that dwells therein. God is the owner of everything, the creator of everything, the sustainer of everything. And so when we think about work, work is created by God in service to God. Many times when we think of work, we have this human-centered definition. You know, uh, uh, on Facebook, I, I was, you know, I, I love to just, um, anytime I preach, I, just, I love to pick people's brain on the topic, right? So on Facebook, I asked the question, how do you define work? And there was about 20-something different comments. And, this, and these are some of the comments that people, my friends on Facebook uh, said. They said, 
Work needs to fulfill my passions and gifts. It is a necessary obligation so that I can feed and support my family. If I don't work, then I don't eat, and then I die. <laughs> so many of us, you know, uh, we work in order to survive, right? We work in order to fulfill other desires, right? Such as a comfortable lifestyle, financial security, uh, you want freedom to travel, uh, you want to support your dreams, or you want to maintain a life of meaning outside of work. It's like I, I work so that I can have purpose outside of work. I, I fulfill, you know what I'm saying? I work real, real hard so that I can live in a nice house, have you know, a lot of money in the bank, have a lot of comforts, freedom, you know what I'm saying? Nice, whatever, whatever that is. It, it is a, it, and it, it's real, right? That's real life. But God creates work in order to liberate us from this mindset. God wants to liberate us from this mindset of, I have to work. Like, uh, if I don't work, I'm going to die. You know what I'm saying? If I got to feed my family. Uh, you know, I, I have to do this. I hate doing this, but I got to do this because it's a necessity. So this uh, NPR article on the scarcity mindset, uh, an economics professor named Send Hill, I'm hoping, hopefully I'm, I'm saying that name right, a professor at Harvard and Eldar Schaefer, a psychology professor at Princeton, they, they started researching this hypothesis and this is their hypothesis. They said, when you really want something, you start to focus on it obsessively. The psychological effects of scarcity can be seen in many areas of life. Among lonely people who lack companionship, even among the very busy who lack time. In all these cases, they argue, people need to recognize how not having enough of something can make us so maniacally focused on short-term solutions that we lose sight of our priorities. Does that speak to anybody? Uh, when I think about this, this notion of a scarcity mindset, let me, let me, let me define it for you. Let me show you what it looks like. And honestly, and I'm, I'm not saying this as a judgment, I put myself in here because I see myself all over the pages. And so I want you to know that I'm preaching to myself first before you. So here's what a scarcity mindset looks like. It's pessimistic. There isn't enough resources to go around. Uh, you're, you're anxious that you might lose your job if you don't outperform your competitor. You overwork because you want to be seen as useful and indispensable. You worry. You constantly feel overwhelmed. You have a hard time being content or grateful. You overcommit. You have to prove yourself in order to appear competent and skilled. And, and, and it's hard to celebrate the promotion of others that you feel more qualified than. This is a scarcity mindset. But God is bringing us into an abundance mindset, and this is what it looks like. You're at ease. You take time for rest and leisure. You're grateful. You take time to enjoy life and appreciate the simple joys. The world is full of opportunities. There's more than enough resources to go around. You're generous. You trust others and are not suspicious. You have a strong sense of self-worth, optimistic. You have the capacity to forgive much and you don't take yourself too seriously. You live out of who you are rather than what you do. 
You know, we live in a culture that, uh, that is filled with self-help. You know, I, I don't know if you've heard, you know, like the law of attraction, right? Positive thinking. Um, uh, this, this idea that if I, if, I, if I think positive thoughts and I don't surround myself with negative energy, people who are gonna, uh, you know, destroy my dreams, that if I just orient myself positively, that I will, I will achieve my goals. So basically the law of attraction says whatever, whatever you manifest out into the universe, the universe will give it back to you. And um, this uh, self-help guru named Tim Robbins, he's a motivational speaker and he, and he talks about this abundance mindset. And so I, I wanna show you, really it's interesting, all truth is God's truth. So this, this idea of scarcity and abundance is within our culture, but it's really biblical but it's been distorted and so I, I'm gonna I kind of differentiate our cultural view of this scarcity of, and abundance and the biblical view so this is what Tim Tony Robbins said so Tony Robbins he, he talks about uh, this idea of an abundance mindset he said he even says that uh, we should he says not affirm ourselves in terms of positive thinking like you know I'm happy I'm happy I'm happy like you just kind of fake it till you make it he says, what we need to do is have incantations. He says, affirmations are spoken words of encouragement, but they are not transformative. He said that if you can recite something uplifting, but if you don't embody it physically, then nothing changes. And so this is, he says, for 20 plus years of his life, every single day he, he, he does this an incantation. And this is what he says. He says, I now command my unconscious mind to direct me in helping as many people as possible alive today to better their lives by giving me strength, the emotion, the persuasion, the humor, the brevity, whatever it takes to show these people and get these people to change their lives now. And he, and he recites this and he said, you know, when I was poor, when I made 30 something thousand dollars and, and in one year I made a million, this is what I said to myself over and over again. This is the incantation. He said, check this out. God's wealth is circulating into my life. His wealth flows into me in avalanches of abundance. All my needs and desires and goals are met instantaneously by infinite intelligence, where I am one with God, and God is everything. And he said he, he made this incantation every day, and it manifested itself into him being a millionaire. It manifested itself into him being confident. But here's the thing, what's wrong with this, right? What's wrong with this idea? Well, it gives you whatever you want by controlling your circumstances. You can make all things possible. You, you are one with God and live God-like without believing in, in, in a, a religion, believing in Jesus, or submitting to God's authority. You were born to be wealthy and successful and you can manifest your own reality. Now, it's a, it's a human-centered, selfish way of looking. And God is wants to give you another way of looking, the, the, the abundance mindset, the, the liturgies, right? Uh, James K.A. Smith talks about these daily liturgies, that these habits that, that, that help to uh, 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 
kind of, you know, Augustine talks about the loves and how my love, and I need to uh, uh, perfect my love and, and my desires need to be oriented toward God. Think about the psalm that says, I will bless the Lord at all times and his praise shall continually be in my mouth. When, when you're broke, I will bless the Lord at all times and his praise shall continually be in my mouth. When, when they're, they're, they're uh, oppressing you at your job, I, I will bless the Lord at all times and his praise will continually be in my mouth. This is the abundance mindset. And Moses presents in Genesis the upside down view of the abundance mindset. The upside down view of what the world would say, you know, manifest your reality, the law of attraction. You just believe it, orient yourself, take out the negative vibes, bring in positivity, and you will achieve your goals. This is what Moses presents in Genesis. He says, in, in order for you, the people of God, to live abundantly, to receive all that God has for you, check this out. God is going to take you in the wilderness. Israel, the Israelites were in scarcity from an earthly perspective, but Moses was teaching them to see and understand the abundance of God's provision. Moses is trying to show the people of God that you can be in the wilderness where it's dry, it's hot and miserable, and God can give you manna from heaven. God can give you a, a, a cloud by day to, to, to shield you from the heat and a fire by night to show you where you're going. God can provide exactly what you need. The suffering of the Israelites in slavery and in the wilderness was not meaningless. God told them the creation story that Egypt was not their God, that God would be their God, and that God told them the creation story and I'm going to give you, uh, to show you this abundance mindset in the middle of the wilderness. Isn't this crazy? You would, I'm going to tell you about God's provision and how he's abundantly gracious and good and, and can provide. He's a Jehovah Jireh in the wilderness. Why would God do this? And I believe we see this. We see the answer as is pointing forward to Jesus. God enters our suffering. God comes into the wilderness to show us his abundance. This, look at Jesus. Jesus enters our suffering. When, when Jesus was tempted in the wilderness for 40 days and night, and Satan came and said that you can change this stone into bread if you're hungry. You can have anything that you want instantaneously if you work for it yourself or you, if you work for me, if you bow down and worship me. And Jesus responds by saying, that mankind shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. This is the abundance mindset. To rest in God's work, to trust in him alone for provision. God works so that we can rest. You know, an abundance mindset says, you know, I, I don't have any money in the bank. I'm struggling. I, I've been employed for six or eight months. But I know that God will provide everything that I need. I know that God can make a way out of no way because he did it for his people in the book of Exodus. And I know that he will do it for me because I am a child of God. I am a joint heir with Jesus Christ. 
God will never leave me nor forsake me. He can make pools of living water in the midst of the valley and the dry ground. He can prepare a table before me. He can lay out a feast in the presence of my enemies. He can anoint my head with oil and my cup overflows with his abundance because surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life. This is the abundance mindset that God is trying to instill in his people. That you can be in the wilderness and still live underneath God's provision. You can trust that God is good. You, as the Bible says, trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understandings. In all your ways acknowledge him and he will make your path straight. Do you believe that? Do you believe that God can do that? in the wilderness, in the midst of suffering. And if you need proof, my brothers and sisters, Jesus Christ is the proof. Jesus worked. Jesus became a human being and entered our suffering and slavery. He defeated Pharaoh. He defeated sin. He defeated the devil so that we can have life and life more abundantly. You cannot save yourself. You can't earn your salvation. You can't work hard enough to say, Lord, I, 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 I am morally good enough. I'm better than uh, those millions of people out there. I'm better than my neighbor, so therefore I deserve to be in your kingdom. You must rest in the finished work of Jesus Christ on your behalf. And when you rest in Jesus, you can have an abundance mindset in the midst of suffering. You can have an abundance mindset in the midst of scarcity, in the midst of chaos. As, as when the Bible was saying God hovered over the darkness and the formlessness and the void, and the Holy Spirit brought beauty out of chaos, brought, brought form and, and shape out of that which was formless and void. God can do the same thing in your life. God says, bring your, bring your chaos, bring your scarcity before me, Bring your need, bring your death, and I will make it alive. Bring your need, and I'm going to give you abundance. Bring it before me. He can give you joy in the time of sorrow. He can change your mourning into dancing. As Isaiah 55, 1 through 2 says, and I'll close with this. Come, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters, and he or she who has no money Come, buy and eat. Come buy wine and milk without price. Why do you spend your money for that which does not bread and your labor for that which does not satisfy? Imagine if we were to live in this mindset. Imagine how it would change the way that we work. That we, we would come into a situation with an abundance of, we know who we are in Christ. And if you are not in Christ today, my, my brother or sister, I want to let you know that there is still hope. Genesis teaches us that you are made in the image of God. You are not what you do, it is who you are. You know, God, God says, you're made in the image and likeness of God. And then God says, the utility, right? You can be fruitful and multiply, you can have dominion, but, but first God starts with the identity. You are made in the image and likeness of God. He says, you are light. 
And then he says, this, and then I'm going to separate the light and the, the, the morning will be day and the evening will be night. God says, I'm going to separate the, the waters from the dry land. You are earth. And then God says, produce vegetation and all these other things. So God is after your identity. God wants to show you who you are and who you were created to be. You were created to be a co-creator with the, with the most beautiful worker in the world. You know what I believe hell is? I believe a hellish work is like this. Imagine you're an Israelite in slavery. You're oppressed and you call for justice and there's no answer. You're crying out for mercy and there's no answer. You're, you're trying to go to the court. Can I sue these people? What, can I, what kind of recourse do I have? And there's no answer. There's no response. It gets more oppressive. It gets more overwhelming. And you're just like, does anybody hear me? Does anybody see me? That is what hellish work looks like. That is what work without, without God stepping into the midst. When God steps into the midst, he hears our cry for justice. He hears our cry for recourse. He hears our cry for oppression. And he says, I'm going to come in in the midst of your hellish work environment. And I'm going to free you and show you that I can give you everything you need, even in the wilderness, especially in the wilderness. What if God says, you know what, Egypt, uh, uh, Israel, Israel, I'm going to take you out of Egypt and we're going straight to Canaan, straight to the fruits and all the vegetation, and if we're going to do it tomorrow, they wouldn't really appreciate it, right? They'd be trust fund babies, you know what I'm saying? But God doesn't want to make you a trust fund baby. God wants you to make you, God wants to, here's the thing, God wants to say, look, you're a co-heir with Jesus Christ. Everything that I have belongs to you. So think about that. You're a co-heir with Christ. Everything that God has belongs to you. And you're like, Lord, I have nothing. And, and God says, but I have everything. And you're like, Lord, but it's hopeless. And God says, I'm going to give you hope in the midst of suffering. I'm going to give you joy in the midst of trial. And then when people look at you, they're like, how in the world are you, are you here? How in the world are you not going crazy? How, how in the world do you have hope? And you can say, well, I will bless the Lord at all times and his praise shall continually be in my mouth. I have an abundance mindset. I know that my God will supply all my needs according to his riches and glory. I have an abundance mindset. I don't need to be jealous of the next person who has more than me because God, the creator of everything is my God. And so this is what God wants to give us. He wants to give us abundant life an abundance mindset, lavish all of his grace on you, and it should change the way we work, it should change the way we serve, it should change the way we love, and it should change the way we worship. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you that you have lavished richly on your people the abundance of your grace. Lord, I pray, Father, that in the mighty name of Jesus, that you would give us the abundance mindset. Even in the midst of a hard workplace, even in the midst of unemployment, Lord, even in the midst of, of a low bank account or credit card debt or school debt or people being promoted before us or, or you feeling like ageism, like, you, you know, they want the young people and they don't value the older people. 
Lord, give us an abundance mindset. Show your people that they are made in your image and your likeness. That you have, that your, that your work is sufficient. That we don't have to work that hard. That we can rest in Jesus Christ who worked his tail off until he died and then he rose again and he gave us freedom and life and abundance. Do that in this place. In Jesus' name. Amen.